Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number three of the In Conversation series. Uh, this episode, my guest is Richard Hollingham. He is from Boffin Media, uh, I believe founder, one half of the founding team of Boffin Media, which is a freelance media company. They do radio programs, podcasts, um, video work for BBC and the European Space Agency, to name a few. Um, a lot of their stuff is centered around space. Uh, Richard also writes for BBC Future um, on, on topics related to space. He's really found himself a niche in the space beat. Uh, and he'll explain a little bit um, about how he got into that in the episode. Uh, the other thing that Boffin Media does is podcast courses, so training. Uh, and this is where I met Richard. Uh, he ran a great course in London. I was able to take part in it. He gave me a lot of great tips on how to make this show better. Uh, I will say that I, again, learned a lot from recording this episode with him. And so, Richard, if you're listening, I obviously still have a ways to go in terms of recording the perfect audio, but thank you for all your tips. Uh, I don't think this one turned out too bad, uh, but there's some things that I would have liked to to do better. Um, so last time I was in London, Richard was gracious enough to agree to be on the show, and he invited me down to the Boffin Media offices. Um, and it turns out it was probably the worst day to come. There was tons of activity. We were hoping to be able to have the sort of common room of the shared office space to be able to record, but there was a BBC Four photo shoot going on for one of their comedy programs, uh, so we had to jump into some of the empty offices, uh, which didn't remain empty for long as the people who's, who occupy those offices showed up. So as you will hear uh, throughout this episode, we get interrupted a number of times and have to sort of pick up and, and move to the next office. So. Um, that was, you know, something. <laughs> uh, Richard was also quite busy as he had to be in Houston the next day um, for some researching trips that he was doing. So all in all, I wish we had more time, um, but it was a really great conversation for for the time that we did have. Uh, Richard's a really, really great guy and knows a lot about space. He's been covering this for a while. Um, one of the one of the flagships, I guess, of uh, of Boffin Media is the Space Boffins podcast, award winning Space Boffins podcast, um, which is which is really great as well. Um, so we talked about a lot of different things, um, why people are interested in space, the commercial act aspect of space, which I wasn't really expecting, um, something I never really thought about. We talked about some of the billionaires going into space. Elon Musk, all this stuff, and Jeff Bezos, uh, another thing that I hadn't, or another guy that I hadn't thought of much when it comes to space, but I guess Jeff Bezos is 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 building some rockets. Um, we talked a little bit about the politics of space, some of the things he's excited to see in the in the future, uh, projects that are upcoming, um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I wish we had more time, but you know, it is what it is, and we got, you know, at least to sit down and chat a little bit. Um, my apologies for any of the, uh, um, you know, blips that you might hear in the recording. Like I said, I'm 
still learning from Richard uh, <laughs> on how to be more prepared and record audio live in the field. So um, I think you'll still enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed uh, recording it. Um, make sure to check out the website for this one, tobradforyou.wordpress.com, because I'm going to put up a lot of links to Boffin Media stuff, the Space Boffins podcast, some of Richard's writing, and he mentions a few, a few shows at the end that we should all check out. So I'm going to make sure to link to all that. And then I guess there's not much else to say except for, as usual, we have the Freak Motifs, the boys from the Freak Motif bringing us in. Uh, and then it's on to my conversation with Richard Hollingham. Everyone kind of looked at me weird in Frankfurt when I came through. With they made me pull it all out. Yeah, and I had they were to testing it for in, um, bomb residue in the states or now. Yeah, the states. Now. Well, weirdly, I came back from um, we came back from the Netherlands. We did a podcast in the mm. Netherlands uh, the other day, and I was just I had I had a mixer in my. It was all carry on. So yeah. I had a mixer. I had two recorders. I had multiple microphones. I had a whole bag full of leads. I mean, because yeah. and a big box of batteries. I mean, it must have looked horrendous under the X-ray scanner. <laughs> And it wasn't that that they stopped me for. It's because I had a block of cheese. Because <laughs> it was the Netherlands. They didn't want you escaping with their lovely cheese. No, exactly. So it was the cheese that caused the that showed up on the scanner. Yeah. Rather yeah. than anything else. <laughs> That's great. Um, so you're off to Houston tomorrow to do yeah. space buff and stuff. So well, we got space stuff. This is really stuff. yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say space boffins stuff. So some of the interviews will end up on space boffins. This is paid work. Okay, um, and yeah. I wouldn't categorize space boffins necessarily as paid work. But it seems like just you know sort of reviewing everything going on the website mm. and everything. Space seems to be a big part of yeah, what you do. Somehow ended up in this niche of doing space. I mean, my well, this was my question. I was like, do yeah. you know something that we don't? Are you trying to get <laughs> out of here? You know, why that? Or is it something that you've just sort of always liked or maybe oh, yeah, you I fell think, into it? Well, when I look back at the books and books I've kept from my childhood, yeah. there were two books and I've, I've got well, I've rediscovered them recently. We were clearing out my uh, parents' house. Um, there was a book on exploring and mm. a book on the space shuttle. Yeah. And I've still got them. And they're still yeah. great, actually. They're still really good. Yeah. So, uh, and then by about age 12, I wanted to either be a famous explorer or uh, on the radio. So I worked out the on the radio. And then I, I basically pursued on the radio. I want to be on the radio. I want to be a local radio. I wanted to be a local radio DJ. Yeah. So I pursued that and pursued that and pursued yeah. that. And ended up, um, well, I think my first actual presenting as opposed to reporting job, I think I was about... 21 so it's been paid to present on the radio and i did that through to about 26 mm -hmm. uh, as a local radio uh, presenter um my original degree is in applied biology so really i should have done probably more biological sort of stuff but i ended up uh so i, I got an attachment at the bbc i was at the bbc mm -hmm. presenting the local uh the breakfast show on radio cumbria uh and then the evening show on radio cumbria and ended up um, I was just getting bored. I was getting bored with it. Right. I wasn't particularly liking the other people around me. I think it just, I was just too young basically to be doing that job. Yeah. I would actually quite like to present on local radio again now because I've got 
got a family, middle-aged, I've got a family, <laughs> I've got an understanding of the local place, whereas I was just right. ambitious and I was very slick and I was yeah. quite good at doing interviews. Yeah. But I didn't really... And I love the, the county, I love yeah. Cumbria, but I wasn't really... You know, yeah. it wasn't a Cumbrian, and yet I was broadcasting. You it. had the explorer bug. You wanted yeah. to get out well, there. Yeah, well, I've always wanted. I love travel. I love. I mean, I don't like flying, but I love travel, so yeah. that would never yeah. stop me. Um, so uh, I got an attachment to the science unit in London. I actually, work on the, the human body. It was a major BBC documentary series yep, of the familiar n- with it. 90s, kind yeah. of late 90s. It was a big thing at the time. A yeah. massive amount of money. It was sort of the equivalent of. Blue Planet yeah. 2 now, yeah. really. Um, well, it made it to Canada, so... We, oh, okay, we, yeah, it was a big, <laughs> I mean, massive budget. And I was just a researcher on that. So I'd gone from being, mm-hmm. you know, local celeb to researcher. <laughs> um, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like spending that. I was ba- I'm was. i basically a news person. And yeah. I, I like kind of quite short deadlines, fairly short turnaround times, a bit of pressure. And this was just so open-ended. And you were just finding out stuff that might not get used. Mm-hmm. I did all this weeks of research on, on um, how much, how many tears we cry in a lifetime. Talking to all these researchers and things, and it was just for this sequence on a boat with buckets on the Thames, which I helped <laughs> to set up, and it was fine, and it made you know. Uh, two minutes of the final film and it was all right. nice Robert Winston at the front of this boat on the Thames with buckets and I you know and I'd, I'd made that happen at least part partly made that happen it's yeah. another thing you have to get your head around big team of people yeah. and you're as a researcher you're kind of a minion in that team so yeah. it, was, it was quite a, a difficult thing but then they set up News 24 um, and which was the BBC's 24 hour news mm. network and uh, and there was this new unit called the Science News Desk which was a complete disaster we were meant to do stuff for uh, radio and TV at the same time. It was by media working. We were the first group to do it. It was awful. It was totally dysfunctional. We had this egotistical reporter. We had this useless producer with this worst manager I've ever worked for. It was just terrible. Uh, and we weren't, didn't really know what we were doing either. We were trained <laughs> to do all this stuff. Um, so I went out and did that. And then I drifted into the radio science unit, um, which was just brilliant, the World Service. Um, yeah. And I got to finally do these things I wanted to do, which is, the, the space programs right so i started to do one of the first things i got to do was go to the launch of the first stage of the international space station oh wow in 1998 in russia and this was the first well from kazakhstan right. it was one of the first it was the first foreign that's the launch pad that they're still using today uh, yeah well it actually it's a different one but okay. the same place, like in same place yeah, this was right. on the proton rocket so a okay. different, different yeah, yeah. one um, so that was kind of my first, and I it just gave me. I had the opportunities. So you, you had a manager there. It was quite old-fashioned department, but mm. you basically said, "Well, I want to do this," and they said, "Well, if you can make it happen, go and do that." Yeah, you know, there was so much freedom. Um, yeah in retrospect to do that and then we made ended up making quite a lot of history programs on the Apollo program yeah. all the rest of it um, then when I so I ended up in the bit so this is quite a long story so <laughs> it's quite a long story it was a very simple question um, I ended up uh, my final job within the BBC as staff was a senior producer on the Today program yeah. doing general news as yeah. well as science so I was initially there as a science producer and then uh, they wanted to boost the science um, and then when I went freelance uh, and I'd done mostly to be honest most of the stories we didn't do much space on today at all we mm-hmm. did it wasn't that in, no one was that interested at that mm-hmm. point in the UK in space um, and, and most of the stories I did were biomedical or it's a lot of genome stories there yeah. was GM crops um, right. BSE I mean huge amount that was kind of my expertise really mm-hmm. and we were doing a lot of that it was hugely controversial hugely political and I was really into that um, when I left, the first freelance work I got, apart from 
uh, some a lot of BBC work still, was uh, editing this new magazine, Space UK, for the UK Space Agency. And that's really, to come back to the original question, yeah. that is the thing that started leading to all these other space things. And once you get into an, a niche like that, you start to get other things in. So I started yeah. doing some work for the European Space Agency, started doing commentaries for launches. Um, and then you start to get more and more expertise. I started pitching more programs on space. Um, and then, you know, as a result of that, uh, the BBC Future came along um, and they wanted a space person. I said, well, I'm doing all this space stuff. So I got space columnist on BBC Future. Uh, I think around similar time, maybe before that, we'd started Space Boffins podcast because we were right. into space. But also we're riding this wave of space in the UK. I mean, well, there's been was, a huge change. That was kind of one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, on my way over here was just like, what is the interest um, of, you know, the UK and, and Europe in space? And like, what's the, how does the UK work with the ESA, the European Space Agency? Because in the climate like right now in Canada and North America, you know, since the shuttle program went down is kind of, a lot of people question why are we, you know, going to space? What is it? There's always the talk about Mars and Elon Musk will say something about Mars and we have to get onto another planet. There's always the fear of asteroids. But I wonder what the so Space Boffins has been going on for what, seven years now? Yeah. I think we should say the award winning The award winning space, space the, Boffins yeah. podcast. Yeah. Pardon me for not saying it soon. <laughs> um but so I wonder like in your journey in doing that, seeing what the popularity is, like what are, what is it? What are the stories? I guess that you uh, well, the it, highlights, or what do you think that the people are it, into now? Well, I mean, it is extraordinary. At the bottom, well, it, 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 there's lots of parts of that, really. I'd say with space in the UK and the interest in space. So, uh, space in the UK has always made money, and the bottom line, it's about money. Mm. The joke is within the UK space industry. I don't think many people would think that. No, but the joke is within the space industry is that it, the UK space industry has succeeded despite government <laughs> rather than because of government. And so what you've got... So, uh, for example, Airbus in Stevenage, mm -hmm. literally three miles down the road from where we are at the moment, yeah. they make um, some of the world's largest telecommunications satellites and make a lot of money out of right. doing that. Yeah. Um, so the UK has always made communication satellites. They're the least sexy of all the satellites. <laughs> the <laughs> Probably least, the most used. The most used, least interesting. Yeah. yeah. Really. I mean, they're amazing bits of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and massive. You could th consider these things, you know, size of a double bus, double decker bus in, you know, high Earth orbit. Yeah. In geostationary orbit around the planet. So amazing bits of technology, but not very interesting, yeah. really. Um, and we absolutely take, take them totally for granted. Yeah. Then you've got startups in the UK, or w were startups, like SSTR, Surrey Satellite Technology Limited, which started, I guess, in the 1980s with a few, uh, or maybe 90s in the, with a few launches. Um, and now they're one of the world's largest small satellite providers. If you hmm. can, you know, it's, it, it sounds contradictory, but they make a lot of small satellites. Small satellites are the thing now. So constellations of satellites. Right. If you can fly five satellites that do something for the price of one, right. then that's a whole lot better. Well, and launching them has got to be cheaper too. Yeah, and right? launching's cheaper, all that's cheaper. So, you know, with these sort of growth of these, so these are companies that are making money. Then you have yeah. all these other smaller companies that are also... Uh, so there's another one example, and no one's heard of these people. You know, there's a company called E2V in Essex, uh, which makes sensors for most of the interplanetary spacecraft, most of the you mm. know uh, interplanetary probes that have 
you know, whether they're NASA or the European Space Agency right. ones. So there's all that side. That's not the interesting side necessarily for yeah. most people. The more interesting side is the space science, and the UK's always been good on space science. Um, rockets are really cool, and now with Tim Peake and astronaut. Mm-hmm. But there's been this real wave, and it's huge change in government. Um, right. But successive governments. So started with. Labour government, um, then the coalition and the Conservatives, and essentially space policy, science policy has stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it's industrial-led, it's economics, it's about making money, hmm. but it's also supporting science. And with Tim Peake, it's using an astronaut to help grow the industry. It's linking the two back, really. Right. You know, so the UK has not put money until Tim Peake, and they were kind of edged, sort of pretty much blackmailed into that <laughs> um, putting money into human space flight but it turns out that actually can make money as well for the wider economy whether that's for academia for spin-offs for for mm-hmm. industry and now you know launching rockets from the uk this is extraordinary i mean even five years ago wouldn't think this is possible there were a lot of slightly mm-hmm. nutty companies looking to launch rockets right. or design rockets and there's just this like a bloke in a shed uh, not much more than that. You know, a well-qualified bloke in a shed, but with yeah. no money. It's a nice shed. It's a nice shed, and they're well-qualified. They know what they're doing, but there's no money, and it's yeah. the money now, and there's money in this. You know, with mm-hmm. Lockheed investing in mm-hmm. this sort of, you know, there's not a small company investing in, in rockets in the UK. So is there a scramble? I know one of those recent Space Boffins programs was on the, uh, now I'm, I can't remember the name, the, the launch facility that the... ESA has in yeah, South so Kourou in, in French Guiana. Yeah, yeah, so curiously, Britain doesn't put any money into that. Hmm. Because I was wondering if there is, you know, if if sort of maybe now that we're talking about mm. money and there's this money side of it. I mean, I think there's also a political side. I mean, one of the things I was going to put to you mm. as well was just about international cooperation and how the space program seems to be one of those things that countries that don't get along in other places seem to do this but are other countries european countries trying to find a way to launch their own payloads not well, have they to do. use the russian yeah they do i mean so uh, if you ask uh, and i did uh, and i've not actually we've not actually used this we've not used this interview cuz it wasn't, oh, so this it wasn't is that great it's sort of yeah we didn't use it, and i was thinking about this the other day i remembered i had it the other day i interviewed um the one of the heads of Airbus um, right. when I was out in Kuru about this, they are very emphatic, that, you know, on the record, off the record, that this is it's important for Europe to have its own capability to launch satellites to be independent, yeah. to be independent in space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you cannot. You it's partly economic because they can control keep a lid on the costs. Mm-hmm. They can control that, but it's as much political as anything. Right. Um, so that's that, and that they will say that you know mm-hmm. it's, it's emphatic. The UK doesn't put any money into the UK uh, into the European launches, so it doesn't okay. put any money into Vega or the Ariane launches. That's not to say Brits aren't involved, mm-hmm. or they might be involved as employees of the European Space Agency, but the UK doesn't put any money into that. Right, so it's not the U- in the government budget. No. Yeah. Um, but the UK does put a lot of money into the European Space Agency and it leads on some programs. So it puts the most understandably into communication satellites. Mm-hmm. So the more money you get, you put in, the more money you get, the more work you get back. Right. And that money actually has wider benefits for the economy. It, you can 
the ratios can be explored but you're going to get at least you put you know a pound in you get three back at least okay in better terms of benefits to the wide, wider economy i think it's way more than that but you know you have to i'm not an economist on that um so there's the uh, so the only thing now that the uk is separate on is launchers mm-hmm. so it's looking to have its own launch capability again it's really interesting the uk approach which is you give a little bit of money from government but you don't pay for it mm-hmm the thing is, you know... So it's private companies, like you it's mentioned private before. It's a guy Yeah, you facilitate and... it, you put the regulations in place, you, you provide some grants, yeah, yeah, yeah. you provide some infrastructure, but they it's a commercial operation. Well, and that seems very much like what the attitude, you know, when the shuttle program finished and sort of the current, you know, like if you look in some, some circles anyway in the U.S., this is what... It's like, well, let's make this a commercial enterprise. Let's make space should be a commercial thing. Government can, yeah, kick in some money, put in some regulations and stuff. And then there's a, I've heard arguments against that. It's like, well, do we want guys like Elon Musk and whatever, you know, controlling what can go up and down into space? Not to, not to crap on Elon Musk or anything, but. I think, yeah, there is a point. But I think, you know, once you start to get some competition, it does make sense because then NASA just becomes a client. So mm-hmm. they said, right, we want people to launch to the space station. What can right. you offer us? Right, right. And so you've got, you know, Boeing and SpaceX providing um, mm-hmm. spacecraft that will do that. And you've got um, Dream Chaser, the other, the Sierra Nevada Corporation, right. uh, providing one. It's a sort of close runner-up, which might well uh, become reality as well. And it's what's happened with satellites for forever, pretty much. You know, from the beginning, you, you know, if you, if you build a satellite, you need to launch it. Right. You're going to go and seek, look for the competition. Who you can know, do it the cheapest? Who's going to yeah. do it the cheapest and the safest? Yeah. You know, and how much is insurance going to cost on each each launch? So it's the same thing with P. I think it's inevitable for low Earth orbit. I think the role for the space agencies, I and mean, this is my, my personal view, I mean, these are all my personal views, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that you uh, only a publicly funded or you know, internationally funded operation can push the boundaries um, in terms of taking a crew safely around the moon. Mm-hmm. They could contract SpaceX to do it, for mm-hmm. example, because I mean NASA's always used contractors. Yeah, it's never built right. anything itself. It always uses it does build a little bit itself. Yeah, everything's been done by contractors. It always has been, but they've specified what they want. Yeah, I think when you're, I think that's probably the best. The best way to do it. Right. I mean, the, the European Space Agency. You know, Ariana Space. The is a pri- is essentially a, a private a, a private company providing mm. a launch service for yeah. the European Space Agency. I mean, it's and so there's land- a, there's you know it's you can look at the funding and the, none of these organi- a lot of these organisations wouldn't exist without the taxpayer. Right. But yeah. you know, I think they're they're a company providing a service. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason why that has to be a a government monopoly doing that. But the, the, perhaps the role of the space agencies is to push the boundaries because the they're not going to be so what they can't be is too risk averse right because you know because a, a private company maybe not well not spacex but most private companies are going to be more risk averse right like well in the idea of you know exploring you know manned space flights yeah. to mars and things like this i can see why a private company is like well what's in it for me yeah you know but you've unless... got to be you've got to be you can't you know we could we could say we're, oh, right, we're going to launch and, and that's the thing there's a lot of these companies are sort of say uh, there's been so many in the last few years saying we'll fly you around the moon if you give us 20 million yeah. or whatever uh well, it's gonna be more than that 20 billion i don't know yeah. what it is uh 
And frankly, I'll do that. You know, <laughs> if, 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 you know, I will fly, if you give me $50 billion, I'll fly you around the moon. Yeah. You know, I'll get the spacecraft together. But that's all these, you know, I'll get the spacecraft together, I'll get the spacesuits, I'll get, I'll find a rocket that'll do yeah. all that. Yeah. And that's what a lot of these companies are. It's only, I would say, uh, the traditional companies like Boeing, Lockheed, um, if they see it, they'll see commercial opportunities. And they're obviously, right. they're obviously putting, putting money in, but they've generally been contractors. Right. Um, you know, NASA has said there's been a competition for getting astronauts to the space station. Boeing right. has competed and they're providing as a private operator. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of money from NASA mm-hmm. to do that. I think it's only Elon Musk is really interesting, but it's, it's really the individual um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's doing things in terms of exploration, in terms of pushing boundaries, in yeah. terms of Falcon Heavy. Yeah. That, you know, actually. Uh, most private companies wouldn't do well, and that's that's always change. Sorry, I guess, I yeah, no problem. <laughs> Sorry, we borrowed your office, we'll go next door. Oh, no, that's quite all right. No, 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 we, no, no, we, we, I said we, we'd um, we'd uh, we'd go as we never managed to turn off the microphone on it, right? Okay, okay, yeah, okay, so I'm talking like that, yeah, so that should be good. Yep, there we go, okay, <laughs> we're back after a little, a little delay. And I think if I remember where we were at, we were speaking about maybe the role of private billionaires in in pushing the boundaries of space. Because I mean, I think it's it's he, Elon Musk, like you said, it's the character. It's fascinating, and I wonder. It kind of harkens back to something you said at the beginning of the book on your shelf of the explorers, and I think that's like a real um, you know why a lot of people fall in love with space and what the public might be interested in space. You know, the manned missions to Mars. So I wonder what it what it is. Do you think of Elon Musk? Is a, is there some angle that he's working, or do you think he's just genuinely some guy that is enamored with the idea of being an explorer and getting out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know him. Um, I've never interviewed him. I can only say what what we see. We all see. I think he is. He's got this this vision for as a lot of the um, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs mm-hmm. have of going out there of exploring so uh, being explorers in some in some form or other i mean paul allen who recently recently died sadly he was also investing big time in space jeff bezos right. investing big time in space. jeff bezos i mean that's he's the probably more interesting than elon musk partly because we don't know much about it we don't well, really know what's we just know when they post a new youtube video of their latest success we also don't know how many fail we yeah. don't know much about the. Th- we'd have no sense. I mean, I, it bothers me. That's what bothers me, I suppose. When there is tax, uh, I'm not American taxpayer, but it's American taxpayers' money goes into SpaceX, and yet SpaceX is quite opaque the way it the way it operates. Right. It's commercial operation. Um, I think there does need to be more openness. Jeff Bezos doesn't take that taxpayers' money. He's just doing it all off his own his own right. back. Um, and you know he. He, he's quietly coming up and I think I think probably the space first for example on the purely commercial asp areas the first space tourists will probably be Virgin Galactic I think they're still but, in the lead yeah absolutely I would say they've yeah. put a huge investment in the last few years right. they've got tremendous expertise and they know it works I mean you know mm-hmm. what is the technology it's based on Spaceship One works yeah went up in space <laughs> came back down again yeah <laughs> um repeated it. It, it you know won the prize won the prize so you know they know that that technology works the others is i mean it's rocket technology we know rockets work but the yeah. actual rockets are, are, are different and and tweaking it 
Um, and as they're commercial operations, they cannot afford these things to go wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not, these are not um, fighter pilots signing up for some experimental NASA program. Right. These are civilians that are going to fly. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to make sure everything's everything's going to work. But I think Jeff Bezos is the one to watch. But I think they're all, all these people, these Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, some we've heard of, some we haven't, mm -hmm. are, are visionaries. They mm -hmm. really want to do something mm -hmm. with their money. They really want to explore space. And they're often, you know, they're all... Um, you know, children of Apollo, if you like, they're of that yeah. era of where they looked up to these, you know, tremendous people who went to the moon. Right. You know, so, and that's their inspiration. If I had the money, that's why I'd, I'd put money into space. <laughs> well, that, well, I'm, I'm, oh my God, Stuart's here as well. Oh no. <laughs> we might need, we might have to cut this, cut it off. We'll find somewhere else. I thought you were. No, not a problem at all. Everyone's come in at the office at once, so it's a busy place. It's like you said, it's now got the feel of a real busy place. Yeah, real, yeah. Um, so as we're talking about this, this very misleading. going out there, uh, yeah. a couple of things came into my mind. But, well, I'll throw this to you first. Would you be one of the people to go up in the first Virgin One space? Is that I, I, that I absolutely do not want to go into space. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to be, I'd love, too. yeah, I'd love to be in space, but I've always made this very clear. Going into space, it's pretty terrifying. I think I could cope with that. You know, yeah. you're on a rocket, you know that's going to work. Um, and as we saw the other you week with, yeah, but even accident. if it doesn't, even if it doesn't work, I mean, I thought the, sh oh, I felt particularly in recent years that the shuttle was a deeply flawed system you know mm -hmm. you shouldn't build a spacecraft that's strapped to you know strapping a big a spacecraft to a fuel tank with seven people on board who can't get out you know right, right, and right. two solid rocket boosts to the side is, yeah. is a, a very risky system um but the you know soyuz proved i mean it would have been horrendous that landing um when the soyuz went wrong the other yeah. week um, but the escape system works and right. you know you see them sitting on a sofa chatting a little bit shell-shocked but it worked it's fine yeah uh, and it's worked before you know these things will always go wrong high-tech will always go wrong yeah but it's it's inherently fairly safe um, so I think getting to space would be okay being in space would be incredible um, going back it just sounds the worst <laughs> I mean our latest Space Boffins podcast we had uh, Paolo Nespoli European Space Agency astronaut and talking about this coming back from space and the the Soyuz experience and I've heard it described I can't remember how he described it I mean it just sounds horrendous it's multiple car crashes sort yeah. of horrendous um but someone else described it as going over Niagara Falls in a barrel on fire oh. you know it's just <laughs> it's it, it's it it's extraordinary it. they survive they all come you know they all walk away mm -hmm. um there hasn't been an accident it hasn't been a, a failure of the return to earth system since the early 1970s with Soyuz. Right. so we know all that all that works but it, it would be horrible uh, but the, you know i think being on the space station would be pretty cool i kind of i've always wanted to go in a submarine so i think it would be like a submarine in space yeah um and unlike a submarine you've got windows on the earth you know i mean yeah. that would it's obviously going to be incredible yeah but yeah, yeah. you know other other um other aspects of it and the actual the sort of nitty-gritty of space flight is fairly horrible yeah it seems yeah well not to mention the radiation that you're getting blasted with yeah, all the I'm stuff so, that you I'm do i'm not so bothered about it you know, obviously if someone offered me a trip into space i would take it tomorrow yeah but okay that is very unlikely to happen yeah 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 well then i guess real quickly 
because as we just as you've heard, there's people coming in and out all the time, and I know you got to get to uh, Houston. Yeah, tomorrow. I'll go to Houston tomorrow, so I got to yeah, I got to sort my sort so, my stuff out. I mean, what if you you know you've done space boffins for seven years? You're on a research trip for you'll use some of it for space boffins. Yeah, of most of it for um. So we've got various BBC programs we're making. We're you know we're coming into Apollo anniversary year, mm -hmm. fifty years since um. And Neil Armstrong made the first step on the moon. So, you know, the BBC is sort of looking to commission programs. We're trying to do programs around the edge of that, if you okay. like, for yeah, yeah. Um, for the BBC. And the, the one particularly I'm looking at is Apollo 8, which was, I think, actually rivals the moon. I mean, I think actually was we knew the moon landing was going to, if it didn't happen with 11, it would have happened with 12 because right. the technology had all built up to that point with the moon landing with, you know, it's still an unremarkable thing. Mm -hmm. Anyone who see the film First Man, I thoroughly recommend. Yeah. You know, you I've can see yet, what a remarkable thing it is. But Apollo 8, going around the moon, going into orbit around the moon, is just absolutely audacious. The first time that anyone had flown on the Saturn V rocket, the previous test of the Saturn V rocket would have killed the people if they'd been on board. Right. You know, it, it, this untried technology and going into orbit around the moon, I mean, that was just an extraordinary mission. And then you get the Earthrise picture mm -hmm. out of that. So right. I would say Apollo 8 for me is the one. So that's what we're making a, a program on at the moment and some other programs for next year for uh, World Service and Radio 4. So Space Boffins in a way, yeah, it'll be part of that. We'll use material from that. And I'm getting interviews for Space Boffins but uh, it's really for the B for the BBC that content. Okay, um, and we'll put up some links at whatever oh, at the end to like where everyone can find this. But uh, I just so what is on the future? What are you most excited about when it comes to space? What's coming up? You know, people talk about Mars, but that seems like far away. Is I think asteroid mining. Like, no, your... it's going to be. I think I'm hopeful that Lunar Gateway will happen, which is a terrible name for. Mm -hmm an amazing thing which will be a space station in orbit around the moon ah no okay. so i think that is the way forward and it basically you know it's like a long-term apollo 8 right so instead of having the iss in low earth orbit you probably have still have the iss in low earth orbit or some form of it mm -hmm. it probably end up being privatized in mm -hmm. some part it seems such, so crazy to deorbit it all this money and investment and time mm -hmm. and effort and engineering yeah so having a small space station in orbit around the moon that astronaut Manned, of course yeah. yes a crewed yeah so you can have a you know crew there for a good amount of time mm -hmm. i hope in time maybe when the current u.s administration changes um hopefully at some point in the future <laughs> that we That's might see podcasts. some more some cooperation but mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't really it's, whether it's republican or democratic at the moment it's neither has been cooperating with the chinese and right. there's a real opportunity there to cooperate with the Chinese. Because um, they're going to launch a station soon, Yeah, right? so they're going to, well, they've had space station, they're going to launch another space station, and mm -hmm. they're going to have a probably head towards a permanent presence in low Earth orbit. Mm -hmm. It seems crazy they're doing something in parallel to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't, there, there are, obviously there are issues with technology transfer, but, you know, it, the, the Soviet Union and the United States managed it in 1975 with mm -hmm. Apollo Soyuz to link up in orbit between a Soyuz and an Apollo spacecraft. Surely we can do something similar yeah. with the Chinese now. And I mean, the European Space Agency is ahead of the game on this because they are cooperating with the, uh, with the Chinese. And it's likely that a European astronaut will fly with the Chinese to their space station at some point in the future. So I think the Americans are really missing a trick mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. the, with the Chinese there and, and some sort of international cooperation. 
Yeah, it seems like it's one of those things that we can all agree on and that pe can actually, yeah, sort of mend some of these fences or you know, exactly. bring, bring and you can together. Yeah, yeah, you can still have your spy satellites, you can still have your military communication satellites, all the rest of it, but cooperate when it comes to human space flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's great. Okay, so a couple things to look forward to in the future. Uh, I'll let you let people know where they can find your stuff. So you just have, well, you can Google my name. <laughs> it's pretty, so it's Richard Hollingham. Um, that'll find my BBC Future stuff. If you mm -hmm. Google Hollingham BBC Future, you'll find loads of the stuff on space uh, for BBC Future. Space Boffins, because Google Space Boffins, you'll find it. It's hosted currently on the uh, Naked Scientist website, but you can find it on our own website. Mm -hmm. So we're Boffin Media. Um, and yeah, it's not difficult to find the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the space programs, particularly on BBC World Service, over the last few years, we've made okay. as well. So I would recommend, if I was going to recommend a couple of programs, yeah. given, that we've, given that we've kicked him out of his office, uh, we should recommend Music of the Spheres, which is Stuart Clark's um, fantastic essay series with original music okay. on this idea that the movement of the planets um, was really the first idea of, of science and, uh, and astronomy uh, and the inspiration from that. It's a little bit highbrow. It's really good, though. Um, so that's Music of the Spheres. It's an essay series for Radio 3. So just Google Music of the Spheres, BBC. Yeah. You'll find that. And then uh, a documentary I made about a year ago now called Space 1977, uh, which is all about the Voyager probes. I'm very proud of that. I can recommend that one. Uh, very that's good, presented yeah. by Ron Garan, a fantastic uh, presenter, uh, astronaut presenter. Uh, we've done a few a few uh, programs with astronauts now. They've all been great, but I, I, Ron was just a, a joy to work with. Um, but also he was so, his interviews are lovely. He's yeah. really very engaging mm -hmm. uh, with the people and just you know he's an astronaut he's done amazing things but he was sort of humbled by these people working mm -hmm. on Voyager and his his interviews are just great they're the best part of the program I'd say yeah he came across really well as a presenter I must say really good he never done it before but he was just brilliant at engaging yeah. and asking good questions and you know really uh, you know you'd want it's what you'd want in any presenter really yeah okay well I'll let you go like I said, the office is filling up here. You got a lot to do. Thank you so much for having me. No, your, you're very welcome. Your... Sorry about the chaos in no, the office. No, to get the behind the scenes look at it all. That was really great. Thanks so much, Richard. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, I really, really enjoyed the experience of recording it and speaking to Richard. So thank you once again for having me uh, to the Boffin Media offices. We discussed uh, very loosely maybe doing it again in the future, the next time I'm in the UK. Hopefully we can make that happen and set up a time that isn't so chaotic and we might actually have some more time and maybe even get some of the, the other people involved with uh, Boffin Media on the show as well. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, you know, subscribe to the show. We're slowly getting the show on more and more podcast for, uh, platforms. So if there's one that you use that you don't see the show on, get in touch with us. Um, you know, Twitter's obviously the best way to do that, at 2 brad for you or you can get in touch with me at bvamparadon. Um, you can leave a comment on the website, which is 2bradforyou.wordpress.com. And like I said in the opener, do go check out the show notes on the website for this one because I will put up a bunch of links as to where to find uh, any of the Boffin Media programs, uh, some of Richard's writing, um, and the two programs that he mentioned, Music of the 
Spheres and Space 1977, which are both really great programs that I can highly recommend. Um, as always, a thank you to the Freak Motif, a thank you to Sebastian Abood for the artwork, and as a quick note, a shameful, shameful plug, uh, I do have another podcast series out now about beloved Canadian band The Tragically Hip. It's called Cast of the Unplucked Gems. We go album by album into uh, the band's music and lyrics, um, the great personality of of Gord Downey, the the frontman of the Tragically Hip, who recently, well, recently last year passed away. Um, I really enjoy making this program. I hope people check it out and enjoy listening to it. Um, leave us comments anywhere. Get involved. Talk to us via social media, whatever. Uh, we're happy to take your comments, criticisms, all that. Um, and yeah, we will be back with probably another episode, regular episode of Two Brad for You. And I am in the process of scheduling more guests for the In Conversation series. So thank you so much, everybody, for uh, tuning in. And once again, thank you to my guest, Richard. Uh, hopefully we can do it again. Um, and yeah, here's a bit of the freak motif to take us on out. See you next time, everybody. Bye.